0: everyone, welcome to Travels, Tales and Takes with Creepy. That's me, and as promised, Travels, Tales and Takes brings to you stories and experiences from travellers. And today's episode is a pep talk, a conversation with someone that I met through social media, but who has gone on to become a treasured friend. She's a badass traveller and an adventure junkie who has seen some of the most wondrous corners of this planet and is also an all-round awesome human being. She bid farewell to the corporate world a little over two years ago and has since built a career around her passion for travel. Meet Sharanya Aiyar from Truly Nomadly. Sharu, hi! Thank you so much for agreeing to be a part of Travel's Tales and Takes.
1: Oh my god, thank you for that wonderful introduction. You are also a very dear friend and I'm so glad Instagram brought us together.
0: Hello! So happy
1: (laughs) to be here. So glad you're doing this.
0: I know, I can't believe I finally did it. And you're my first guest on this podcast. So that's like double the special whatever for me. Like this just means a lot. So thank you so much.
1: (laughs) So happy to be your first guest.
0: Drum rolls. (laughs) (laughs) So how are you doing? How's it going? I mean, how's not being able to travel suiting you so far?
1: (laughs) I think now after two months, I have no choice but to settle into this new reality. And I think I have initially it was super hard yeah of course like I haven't been none of us have been home for so long you get that
0: yeah you know? yeah it's just
1: so but one of the few and gets this so yeah it's it's not been great but I'm sure we'll get back on the road soon enough
0: soon enough yeah I'm sure it's gonna get better but till then I feel like this is the best possible choice that we have so might as well live it up absolutely yes so um, I've been following your journey for, I think, over three years, maybe more. I don't even know how long it's been. Like, time is so relative. But uh, I know that you spent two whole months traveling across the stands in Central Asia. And I think that was one trip that I followed really closely because it was also one that you did, I think it was a first, right? One of the first in India because these destinations have been very off the map and very unexplored. So, I just want to understand, like, how did you end up choosing the stance?
1: Um, Yeah, I think most people started uh, following me at that time. Um, I knew that I wanted to test myself and go on a long trip. I initially thought I'd go somewhere for three months just to test if I had it in me to be this solo backpacker who could do slow travel long term. Until that point, the longest I'd been on the road was like, Three weeks at a stretch and that was in the northeast of India. And I was like, okay, I want to go somewhere for longer. And initially I was thinking about Africa, but then budgets, obviously. <laughs> so I yeah. said, okay, let's get Asia. And then I was like, do I really want to go to Southeast Asia right now for that kind of time? Or do I want to do something a little more challenging, a little more in, intriguing? And also I had it at the back of my own head that, okay, let's let's maybe do something not too many other people have done. Because at the end of the day, I was trying to build this as a way of life. And as work mm-hmm. so it mattered to me that I do something a little different and unique and uh, my eyes I think turned towards the stance because 2018 was the year they were hosting the world nomad games in Kyrgyzstan mm. uh, I will get to the world nomad games in a bit <laughs> but you know and then I looked at the map and I was like okay this is a tiny country Kyrgyzstan if you look at it at the world map uh, it's really tiny and I was like, nahi so let's, why not just add in a couple of other stands in the vicinity. And then I think once I started just reading initially blogs and stuff, I was so sucked into that whole Silk Road and, you know, how they fall into those ancient trade routes and all of that. I was just so fascinated. It just, I think it became like this whole obsession after that. And there was no looking back.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that even I've been very fascinated with, you know, especially with the whole connect that that's there with India. This is like stuff that you read about in history books. And to actually go there and live that must have been such a surreal experience. Did you happen to go to the Silk Road?
1: Yeah, the Silk Road basically traverses through a lot of these stands, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, uh, even Tajikistan and Turkmenistan, which were two of the stands that I didn't make it to personally, but it's it's gone through a lot of these um, countries. In fact, where I started my journey in Kazakhstan, Southern Kazakhstan is where the Silk Road kind of passed through. And you see influences in their architecture, in their culture. Um, Genghis Khan has invaded all of these parts. So it's all it's all very fascinating. And as as someone who used to love even Mughal history, I think just the whole connect of of invasions and you know, <laughs> how um Babur, who's the founder of the Mughal dynasty, came to India to Sindh actually which was mm. then India now Pakistan mm. from Uzbekistan he is a son of Uzbekistan and he came from there to India so it's all it was just it's amazing to see how the world was so much smaller and closer back in the day I don't know it just feels like now there are more borders more
0: borders now yeah no I, I feel that so many times I just wish that it was, it was like this whole borderless landmass I mean I've seen these memes you know that say I want Pangaea back and I'm like I kind of relate with that I wish there weren't so many borders but I'm sure that must have been like a very immersive experience and. Like you said, influences from there have kind of affected. Even, even in India, right? Like what kind of similarities did you see from there to here? Oh, so, so many, especially because
1: of this whole uh, invasion by Babur. So he brought a lot of Uzbek culture into India. There are a lot of common words between Uzbek and Hindi. Actually, Urdu. Uh, but, you know, words like they use the same word for sky, which is asman. And then they say darwaza for door. They say dost for friend. Oh, wow. And, Food. one of their most famous local snacks on the streets is called samsa which is pretty samosa, much is it? <laughs> pretty pretty much like a samosa except it's more meat intensive there stuff mm. usually with meat unless you ask for veggies and then uh their uh one of their national dishes is called plov which is p-l-o-v which is a rice dish which is Pula-o, you know
0: let me guess <laughs>
1: it's crazy some of the similarities are so uncanny and you know exactly how it happened because you know there is a story to it it's not coincidence it's actually part of the story of the migration and
0: all of that so yeah super fascinating wow I mean just listening to that and I'm like oh my god I wish I could go and spend a few months over there maybe I will like after this whole lockdown I also saw your Instagram post where you've said that if you had to pick one stan out of the three it would be Kyrgyzstan And I think you spent an entire month over there, right? Like, you experienced the World Nomad Games as well. So, like, what was it about Kyrgyzstan that made you want to spend a month over there and that made you just fall in love with it so much?
1: I think, yeah. So, initially, when I saw the map and everything, I was like, Kyrgyzstan will be done in two weeks. You know how maps can also be so misleading? Mm -hmm. You just get it as a tiny blob, especially compared to, like, Kazakhstan is the ninth largest country in the world. It's massive. It's humongous but it's the toughest of the stands and i'm not just saying this from i mean it's not just my opinion it's kind of like popular opinion also from you know backpackers because it's so it's so massive and local transport is not as easily available so i had known as i started doing my research that you know my time spans in each of these countries got decided as i researched more and i was like okay no, no no suddenly kazakhstan looks like i can't really do it on a budget for too long So then Kazakhstan was something I did for two weeks and then I was in Uzbekistan for about two and a half to three weeks. And then Kyrgyzstan, I think I felt like it's that one country and I I can actually do justice to if I stayed back for longer because it's small. You can literally drive from the southern tip to the northern tip in about 24 to 30 hours. It's that's that's kind of like just to give you an idea of how small it is and how possible it is to really dig deep and go across the east and the west and the center and the north. So I was like, okay, that's interesting to get to know a country. Of course, you can never entirely get to know a country, but I felt like that's a great challenge. So yeah, I think Kyrgyzstan was... um, Oh, I don't know, man. So many diverse experiences and just the natural beauty of it all. You know, for me, it's the people and the la- and, and nature that come together to make a place so, so special to me. Uzbekistan had a lot of, like, the best people in the world, even more than Kyrgyzstan for me. But nature-wise, I think Kyrgyzstan swung hands down, like, just so much to do and the World Nomad Games and the hikes and the
0: leaks And oh, it was just, it was just something very, very special. So yeah, that's what even I had read online, like when I was kind of reading a few blogs and stuff about the place, there was a lot that was spoken about the treks and the heights of there. And even these horse treks, I mean, I don't don't think I've ever done one of those before. So I don't know, tell me about that. What was it like? Did you go on any?
1: Yeah, so um, why horseback treks are especially popular in Kyrgyzstan is because it's almost like one of their, not their national animal, but it's, they're known to be nomadic people. So, their horses are very, very important to them. They don't just see them as animals. They see them as their soul, spirits. They're very, very close oh, to wow. horses and eagles both. Mm-hmm. So... um and there is this one lake called the Songkur Lake, somewhere in the center, more, more in the center of Kyrgyzstan. It's at a very, very high altitude. It's kind of like you could, uh, to give you a, an example from India, it kind of has the same kind of respect and vibe as a Pangong So in Ladakh. And uh, that is something one can do entirely by road as a trek walking. They can even get a car up to there or you can go on horseback over two nights or three days. And every night you stay in a yurt up in the valleys. And it's just, it's it's gorgeous. The first day, your butt is hating on you, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, the first day was just insane. I was cursing myself. I was like, okay, maybe I should just complete the rest of this on foot. But then you start building this bond with your horse. And that's what they tell you. They're like, you know, just give it time. It's like any friendship, you just need to give it time. Which is why I say they, they treat their horses as, their soul spirits it's like you know they just really tell you to give it time and honestly after day 2 it was just uh,
0: you know i never wanted
1: to let go that no. kind of scene <laughs> yeah so i think that was a very very unique experience to have to be on horseback and then camp for the night in a local yurt a yurt is basically their their nomadic homes up in the mountains they kind of look like these cute circular blobs just uh, it's parked in the center of a massive valley, nothing around but fields and mountains and the sky. And they actually build it with a lot of like natural materials. And yeah, so it was it was all very, very unique, very new experiences. I've never felt like I've been attacked by so many new stimuli around me, like, like I did in
0: Kyrgyzstan. Yeah. So, you've never had an experience that kind of uh, matches with that of living in a yard, like nothing similar to that or a parallel that you can draw with something in, say, India or you know, somewhere else?
1: Um, yeah, no, because in that style of living in a home in the middle of nowhere, I've camped in the wild, but it a tent doesn't feel like home to me, yeah, like no. it's, it's it's a small space it's never entirely yours it's it it doesn't feel as personal as a yurt does because that is a full-fledged home it's not fancy or it's not massive but it is there is a little area where the women cook and then there is there are the fields where you see the men uh and um you know grazing their horses and their sheep and then you see the kids playing outside there are like these makeshift wooden swings it's like I felt like Heidi over there I was like this is my mountain home (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, it's, yeah, no, nothing compares to that kind of feeling. I was out in the wild, but it was still home. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, wasn't the tent life. It was more than that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that sort of homeliness can probably only come with a kind of hospitality also that is offered along with it. Plus with maybe, you know, I'm guessing they're really warm, welcoming people because the way you've explained all of this to me, it sounds like they're this really, you know, big hearted, open, loving sort of people. And they must have welcomed you with open arms, right?
1: Oh, 100%. Again, it's still not uh, on the mass tourism map Mm. yet. It's poised there though. I feel like it is really going to blow up and it already has kind of started doing really well with the opening up of visas and stuff. But I think the fact that, you know, again, a parallel in India would be Northeast. They're not as used to tourists as the rest of the country is. So their first instincts are not to it's not about commercialism. It's not about, oh, tourist is in my house. Let me make money off this tourist or let me like, you know, um, just it's come and go. It's not. Every, every traveler who stops by in a yurt is still so special to them because it's not as common, you know? Mm-hmm. And then to your mm-hmm. stories, it's kind of like why there is a draw for all of us even to couch surfing, right? Like for them, it's their way of traveling the world. Like I've spent so many, I was just chatting with these Kyrgyz people with Google uh, Translate <laughs> and then talking about India and oh oh my god, India is like, they have such a massive fascination for Bollywood. They because do? Huge, huge. I was a celebrity over there. Any Indian who goes there would be a celebrity. Any Indian girl they see is going to be like a Pari dropped down from heaven because okay, they wow. love <laughs> Indians. Um, because all of these stands were actually once uh, ruled by the Soviet, right? Mm. So um, they were part of the USSR up until 1991, which is when they all got their independence. So they're all very young countries. And back in the Soviet times, apparently, like, they'd smuggle Raj Kapoor movies. That was their escape from the bad times. <laughs> you want to hear them singing, like, Kuch Kuch Hota hai, and all, like no, in these other and in indonesia they're still like in, in the in the 21st century when it comes to actors these guys are like very um nineteen like seventies and
0: raj kapoor and that Tunchakur. was also the golden era of indian films right it's, i think that's what they call right. it so I, i'm not surprised that it made it that far and that they love it like what's not to love <laughs> but you know what yeah. this really came as a surprise to me i would not have expected this yeah same here i had no idea yeah, because like, even when we have traveled to Southeast Asia, it's like, it's like Shah Rukh Khan and, you know, these guys, they rule the roost over there. You'll always hear a kabhi khushi kabhi gum or like a kuch kuch hota hai. But this is really heartwarming to hear that, you know, it's damn sweet. So I have a yeah. very first world question, actually, like if, uh, <laughs> I mean, these yurts are in the middle of nowhere, and there are just fields all around, how is daily life for them? Like, I mean, if I had to pick up say you know rice or groceries i just walked down to the store near my house but like this is this is blowing my mind right now how are they doing it
1: it's it's stocking up they'll go down to the nearest so a lot of stuff uh, not a lot of stuff. They do grow a couple of crops in their fields in the mountains, and then the rest of it is obviously uh, taken down from the nearest village. Mm. Or uh, Kirchin was the nearest big town that we mm. actually started and ended our hike at. And uh, also, these are um, a lot of these places are bitterly, bitterly harsh in the winter. Okay. Kyrgyzstan okay. has some of the most extreme temperatures when it comes to winter time. So, a lot of these families actually pack up their yurts and come down to the towns and then go back only when the winter passes. So, these yurts are actually dismantled and rebuilt once they're back. Ah, so, yeah, it's, it's a tough life, which is why they're known to be nomads historically. They keep moving. Uh, they don't stay there when, when it gets too harsh for them. Okay. And and the toilets are a hole in the ground and then there's a small like, station built around it. So, yeah, that's it's pretty, pretty wild like that and very <laughs> very archaic, okay, you would say but yeah that's how they lived back in the day I guess and they still live like that
0: you know sometimes I just wonder how this is a way of life for people and then when we go to such places for us it's a very fleeting experience and uh, it's really difficult to kind of wrap our head around it because I'm a I'm an out-and-out city girl and it it kind of there's like this level of admiration that I develop because it's like I can literally never do that I mean Even if I tried, I could maybe do it for a week because I would love to live with them and kind of see what it is that, you know, what that life is like. But long term? Yeah, (laughs) I think
1: think especially travelers like us, we go spend a little bit of time in these places, have these experiences for a little while and then we tend to romanticize it because Mm. it is so different. It is so far removed from our everyday and we're like, wow, it must be so amazing to live like this. But then you know that if you're there for longer than a week, you're, you are going to miss the comforts of daily life. You mm. are going to miss creature comforts as we call it. I know. <laughs> I think it's all about conditioning, man. Like actually, I, yeah. I, In fact, last year I met someone in a desert and they, they told me uh, how they can't imagine living
0: like us. So, you know, yeah, I think it's so. all- There's always going to be a difference in perspective for someone else about everyone else. So...
1: I mean, yeah, <laughs> we and we what you've grown up what with got. that you are used to and everything hmm. else is too alien for you to do long term. Yeah. uh, It's it's nice to have these little revelations as you go along, I guess. I live for these
0: things. I live for these epiphanies. I know, right? It's also very grounding, I think, as travelers (laughs) or even as humans to just think of all of this and just kind of realize these things. Yes, you said it. Yeah. So you said they pack up their yurts and they move to different places. Yeah. Imagine. Imagine imagine (laughs)
1: having one home for all your life, all all, all year even.
0: Yeah. yeah. The the true norm. How did you find, like, traveling through the country? Was it convenient? Was it friendly? How was it? Oh, Kyrgyzstan
1: is super easy to travel to, but I'd say this for a backpacker, for a seasoned kind of traveler. I would not say this for just about anyone who can pick, because language is a huge barrier. So I think you have to be okay with things not going according to plan the Kyrgyz are famous for not sticking to schedules and <laughs> it's it, it it was amusing eventually like initially when I was frustrated I was like oh my god this bus was supposed to be here and it's not and where's my day going which is why I think I'm so glad I gave myself a month there because um in two weeks I think I won't have completed. you know we all go in with a certain set of things we want to see and do and uh, it all goes for a toss in Kirgistan you just okay. go with <laughs> and uh, yeah language you have to be patient you have to kind of like move from person to person you can't expect to find all answers with just one man um you know someone's not understanding you even with google translate you're not understanding someone sometimes so it's um it was tough initially but i think once you start seeing the humor in it and you you let yourself go with the flow it's it's a very different kind of experience it's amazing I think, I suppose, this is how people traveled back in the day without, like,
0: Google Maps and without being able to call ahead and book ahead. Yeah, like, it was all spur of the moment, right? You take a decision, you leave the next day and it's about snail mail, there's no internet, there are no phones. Yeah. Uh, Kyrgyzstan was the
1: easier... Even Uzbekistan was easy. Kazakhstan was very difficult. But Kyrgyzstan has a brilliant local transport network. They have what are called the mashrutkas, Mm. um, they're minivans. So it's like you basically pile in to this minivan. They stuff in as many people as they possibly can. It's super cheap. It's supposed to show up at a particular hour, but uh, it it won't leave until the car is full. Mm -hmm. So I have waited five hours. When I had to come from the south of Kyrgyzstan to the capital city of of, uh, Bishkek, I waited for five hours. My cab just wouldn't get filled up. And then I found a local family who was driving by and they stopped because they knew that this was like the pickup stand mm. and they saw the car was empty and and they usually have these like number boards in the front and they saw that the car was for bishkek and this little girl is sitting inside lost and then it turned out that i basically went on a 14 hour road trip with this family they just said come on we're going we're going to bishkek too so beautiful moments like that yeah like i feel like things go wrong but then i've always had someone bailing me out some local or the other.
0: Yeah, that was such a kind thing to do. And I mean, you must have also felt comfortable enough to agree to that because it's not normally that you know you would just say okay to anyone. Like there's always that level of trust that you will have.
1: Yeah, you go with your instincts. I think that's, that's the main thing to do. If you feel like something doesn't feel right, get out. Hmm. Don't, don't try to be an adventurer every day of your trip. Uh, if your gut tells you something's off, just listen to it. I think these things build as you go along as a traveler yeah absolutely. and when, when your instincts are are okay they're taking it easy then i think i i and also these countries are known to be hitchhiker friendly hmm. which is why the locals are so some say they'll come and tell you come with me you know it's not it's not suspicious when a local says that and especially with the a, a, a car full of the grandma grandpa
0: mom three kids and me i was like yes. yeah then i mean i think that's a very safe bet to assume yeah. at least that you know, there's a car filled with kids and adults like these that's amazing but I mean speaking of unsavory experiences you just said that you know sometimes you know your gut did you face anything like that in Kyrgyzstan
1: in Kyrgyzstan not at all but in Uzbekistan I did couch surf and uh, again it was a family uh, when I read up the description it said you know it's the family of three and then they live with their mom like the grandmom and there were three reviews So couch surfing was very new to uzbekistan when i went there they had just recently started making it legal it was illegal seeing just how kind the locals are the government had kind of disallowed couch surfing because it took away from you know income through uh hotels and stuff but yeah so i showed up and this it was a family but the guy was a bit you know like i said also it's a it's a um, this huge fascination for Indian women sometimes it can go a little overboard so yeah that was a little uncomfortable it never got to a point where I was physically feeling threatened but Mm. um, yeah I I left like two days before I was supposed to and I just crossed the border and got into Kyrgyzstan two days earlier but that's fine I think these things are um, manageable you just have to take them in your stride and move on (laughs) yeah
0: I mean that being said I wish it was not something that you know women had to deal with but uh, (laughs) I mean given the way things are it's probably the best one can do or hope for in a situation but I'm glad you know it didn't escalate or nothing untoward happened I think it wasn't even something that you would have expected given that he was a married guy but can't really avoid shit happening on the road sometimes (laughs) I guess that's okay (laughs)
1: yeah and i'm not going to let that little blip ruin my memory of it me. it was so amazing so it's all right it happens um i did tell him everything he was again someone who didn't speak very good english so i wrote him a very long note on my way out i didn't give i didn't really leave a bad review because i still felt like he was just a man who couldn't hide his affections he hmm. never did anything to he never acted upon them physically but yeah i just left him a long note i said in the rest of the world this is so absolutely not this is, this is really bad and um, yeah i guess i
0: hope that changed the way he treated his guests later yeah i certainly hope so i'm glad you took the stand that's definitely going to have made a change i'm sure there were like way way too many other things to kind of compensate for the whole the cons you could say like the pros usually tend to outweigh so, you know, yeah. that's what kind of brings me to the highlight of your trip, which you mentioned at the start of this conversation, the World Nomad Games. Tell me all about that. Oh, my God. Can I just say firstly
1: that in two months, I should have been in Turkey for World Nomad Games 2020. But thanks for nothing, Corona. <laughs> that's not happening. So, the World Nomad Games, oh, where to begin? Uh, they They started only in 2012 in Kyrgyzstan and it's a once in two years affair. So 2012 and then season two is in 2014, 16 and I went for the fourth edition in 2018. I think I'd come across this on, um, I don't know if you follow her, Lost With Purpose, yep. Alex. Yeah, Alex. She is an American blogger who's again done a lot of offbeat travel. And she had been to the World Nomad Games in 2016 in Kyrgyzstan. And I vaguely remember seeing it. But even then I was like, huh, some local, some, something. But then when I came across her blog, uh, that's when I got into it. And it's basically their Olympics. It's the Central Asian Olympics. Their games, their sports are very different from ours. They're still very, very, um, you know, you feel like you're in a Game of Thrones set.
0: Very medieval,
1: you would say. Very medieval, very, very, uh, they love their horses, right? So yeah. a lot yeah. of the games are centered around horses. There's horseback polo with a twist, which is, interestingly, their their national sport, quite controversial, but the highlight of the World Nomad Games for everyone is called Kokboru. It's called Buskashi in Afghanistan. So it's quite like uh, that region plays the sport a lot. And it's essentially 11 players a team either side. They are playing horseback polo, but uh, with a beheaded goat. What? Yeah. So Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. So you heard that right. Beheaded goat. It's a goat, nicely fed, full fat and like fleshy and it's like prepared for game day. And then a couple of hours before the game begins, it's nicely beheaded, clean oh cut. Oh my god. And it's well fed, right? So it's a fat, heavy goat. And it's kept in the center of the field. The referee blows the whistle. Both, both teams start galloping quickly and they have to pick it up. Imagine it's heavy. So you have to pick it up, hold on to it and make your way to the goal
0: pit and throw it in. Wait, so this and is the headless body of a goat that is yeah. lying in the middle of a field.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I know. A bit why, of hard time. <laughs> which is why it's so controversial, right? Like I had a tough time. Um, you know, one part of me is going, "Oh my god, this is so bizarre that it's cool." Like I don't know if you know what I mean. It's it's so, it's so unbelievable, and you're just like, "Wow, this is." something I've never heard of before and it looks very weird and then one part of me is just like revolting at the thought of a goat being sacrificed for what for entertainment but turns out in their defense they say that the winning team then feasts on the goat so it's not just beheaded for the game it's eventually also consumed and meat is a big part of their diet there
0: obviously right, course, yeah.
1: Really and it's it's basically sometimes the only kind of food they have access to up in the valleys and mm-hmm. mountains so it started it started as a hunting success kind of game
0: you know like they'd celebrate yeah. their
1: success of hunting or goat or a sheep or any animal I, I think it started with wolves and then it kind of like just blended in with their culture and tradition and is today a game which is the highlight of the world's <laughs> nomad game and uh, yeah so that was I think one of um the highlights of the world nomad games for everyone. It's like it's unreal. The energy. So there are different venues, and um, they have built this like state-of-the-art hippodrome stadium, especially for Kokguru. And um, the rivalry is amazing, it's healthy, it's like it's kind of like an India-Pakistan match. The oh, match wow. the one of them was Kyrgyzstan versus Uzbekistan, and oh my god. God, they're like arch rivals, and the stadium was erupting. People had obviously come across the border to watch this match. It's a huge, huge feast. It's a festival. There are 80 plus countries participating on the whole, but uh, most of these games are completely ruled by the stands. Like it's 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 a joke to even watch America trying to participate in Kabaddi. <laughs> like take that, some USA. You can't do it all, and you know it. It gives me great pleasure to sometimes see these so-called first-world nations not succeeding <laughs> at games and sports, and so it was—it was, it was yeah, very medieval. It just felt like I was, you know, like Middle Earth or some other alternate utopian like timeline, yeah. maybe like yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Everyone's dressed differently. Everyone's obviously talking in a language you know you can't you can't make any sense of. The food is different. The vibe is different. But then you realize that sport is sport at the end of the day across the world. So they're cheering and they're screaming out their country's name. It was unreal. And even there, my loyalties lay with uh, Kyrgyzstan. I thought I'd support Pakistan, but I was just like, no, no, Kyrgyzstan. (laughs) So that was one of the sports. And then my favorite venue was this um, valley called the Kitchen Valley. Huge. And it was like a whole mela, you know, like. People had come in and set up yurts, weeks in advance. So they were living there. And then there was this whole section which had a huge flea market with crafts and um, food from all of these neighboring countries. So there were stalls and they were making fresh naan bread and they were making fresh pulao, And, you know, it was just I shopped so much because it was towards the end of my trip. And then that's where they have horseback archery for men, horseback archery for women. Um, then there was this, again, kind of controversial for me. It's a dog, a bunch of dogs who are
0: racing towards uh, meat. <laughs> so it's a dog race. And are these dogs trained for this? Or is this like, they, I don't know, uh, how does this okay.
1: work? <laughs> it's a joke. You have to watch it. Suddenly one dog has just stopped and turned and started running back towards the starting line. And people are laughing, <laughs> and then one country team, one team has just not shown up, and later we find out they didn't show up because they were given the
0: wrong time, which oh, is what I'm
1: saying. Okay. In Kyrgyzstan, no one knows.
0: There's what no happening. organization as such. That's, <laughs> the it. That's the charm
1: of it. Like suddenly the referee will go. Um, ah, the Republic has won this game because the other team has not shown up. That's it. <laughs> that just like be so <laughs> comical to
0: listen to. Game. wait. What?
1: What a riot! So it was just such a... I mean, it's such a massive event. There are so many countries participating. But then it just sometimes just felt like a school annual day. Because again, so many things would go wrong.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, <laughs> That's the exact and, I was drawing. Yeah, this whole alternate reality hits you over and over. You're sitting on the side of a mountain in this valley. You're watching this unfold in front of your eyes. And then around you are people, backpackers from all over the world. And it's just, it all felt so bizarre and i've never felt more alive like the world of my games was just it was outrageous and just amazing at how bizarre it was it was just amazing
0: yeah it definitely sounds like a (laughs) once in a lifetime kind of an experience and this happens in different countries at different like it's editions or you know the seasons are all different right like this time it was going to be in turkey you're saying so that experience that you had in kyrgyzstan can never be replicated
1: Never. In fact, the first four editions were in Kyrgyzstan. And then finally, I think people in the in the region, in the, sura- the surrounding countries also obviously wanted now to host. Mm. And in fact, everyone was waiting with bated breath during the opening ceremony to hear where it would be. Mm-hmm. And apparently countries bid for it. They present their plans on where they plan to host it and la 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 la. And everyone thought it would be either in Kazakhstan or Turkmenistan, which is also a very rich country. But... Turkey, honestly, was not met with a lot of enthusiasm. Everyone was like, no, what, why? It's not going to have that kind of charm. It's going to be so commercialized and all of that. But yeah, Kyrgyzstan was, I think I was really lucky. And I knew that it was going to be the last year, which is Mm. why I
0: just uh, jumped at it. And I'm so glad I did. Yes, timing is everything, isn't it? Even I'm glad you did. I mean, at least I'm listening to it through your eyes. And uh, well, hopefully so are a lot of other people, but Yay. <laughs> so tell me something i know you're like this major adventure junkie and you jump off literally anything and you dive into literally everything so did you do anything at the world nomad games or, you know around that to kind of quench that did you learn archery or i don't know decide to take part in uh, picking up a goat or, I, don't, I don't know <laughs>
1: <laughs> no so uh, a week before the world nomad games i went to this um, little like um on the south shore of lake isikul and there what they do is that's where a lot of the athletes kyrgyz athletes were training for the world nomad games oh, wow. so i got to watch them training and uh they were training for all sorts of things from kokboru to horse archery to just plain archery also and again the eagles are very important to them right so that's another sport the eagles are trained to fly the furthest and the fastest to catch this dangly piece of meat that each track has at the end of it. And there yeah, it's just it's something kuchbi or eh. Like every day you're stunned by something new and you're just like, is this what is going on? You know, here you watch it in you watch it in like shows you watch it as fiction and there it's actually reality reality
0: yeah I mean you're watching it happen in front of your eyes you know I would actually only expect this in like Game of Thrones like you said but (laughs) the very fact that it's actually going on somewhere in the world it just makes me want to see it more to be honest
1: yeah so when I was there I was like I also want to try and Obviously, horseback actually firstly requires you to be able horseman or horsewoman mm-hmm. with a knot. So, but, you know, they gave me a very, like, uh, easy target. And they gave me this, like, light bow and arrow. I think it was made of plastic, huh? Which was very embarrassing. Like, <laughs> you know, like how you are a kachalimbu when you are playing. Yeah. Like, that was kachalimbu. I looked it also. And, uh, yeah, so I tried my hand at it. And it's so tough because your horse is moving. And your target is stationary and you're moving. That itself of spazes like me is like a big disconnect. Like Hmm. coordination levels are not there. (laughs) uh, That was interesting. And then, you know, I got to hold an eagle and they are heavy. They're so heavy. And I learned so much about eagles, about how uh, once they mate, they don't mate again after that if they lose Hmm. their um, you Know they mate, that's it, they don't mate again, oh
0: and you know, like,
1: like that. It's so amazing. Otherwise, I think Kyrgyzstan the biggest draw for adventurers is the hikes, the high altitude mm-hmm. hikes. Many to be done. There's also skiing, but that's in the winter. I was there in the summer. Um, but yeah, there was not jumping, there was a whole lot of hiking and trekking. Yeah,
0: yeah, and from the looks of it, are. What you have said, at least, it sounds like an absolutely magnificent experience. So, like, would you say summer was a good time to have gone? Yeah, especially uh, it was the least hot of uh, the other
1: countries, like Kazakhstan. um, Parts of Kazakhstan were hot, very hot. Uzbekistan was brutally hot, like at 40, 45 degrees, because it's the southernmost of these Hmm. three countries. So, Kyrgyzstan, by the time I hit Kyrgyzstan, it was the 2nd or 3rd of August. And it was beautiful weather, very pleasant for most part. And by September, mid-September, it begins to get bitingly cold and a lot of the treks are shut off for the season. You can't go to Songkul, you can't go to any of these lakes because it starts snowing very harshly. So I think um, the season opens up somewhere in May uh, when it's low crowds and decent weather. uh, And then... June July is the hottest that it gets there, and also the peak season because there are a lot of tourists. Hmm. And by hot, I mean it's all relative. Obviously, you can't compare it to a Paris or a, you know Jaipur. But right. uh-huh. and yeah, I think August September is a great time. To be there.
0: Cool. And did you meet like a lot of backpackers or a lot of people on the way?
1: Oh, lots. And the cool thing about the stands is you'll run into people you know from the neighboring country. You would have. Met, I met someone in Kazakhstan on my first oh, week. Wow. still and the thing is a lot of us were there for the World Nomad Games again or there were people who had no idea about it and we tell them about it and they'd be like oh my god I'm changing my plans and then we so I met so many people at the games that I'd met over the course of the last two months in Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan and we were all just together every night at the hostel planning which game to catch the next day and every night we'd have a party when we'd come back and, you know, sing and drink and sleep and then wake up and by drink, you know, local stuff, yeah. like just chill out with the locals and then go back the next morning. So it was, yeah, lots of backpackers who had um, come for the games or just, you know, for their summer hmm. and keep running into the kind of
0: like the same people everywhere. I think so it makes the experience so much more fulfilling, right? Like when you meet these people on the road and suddenly there's like this whole camaraderie that's formed and you know it's temporary. It may be only for the time that you're there. But even then, it's, it's like you just connect at a different level because you're traveling and doing the circuit together. So I love it when that happens, honestly. Yeah, the way I see it,
1: I think when, when you hit it off with someone, then you're obviously making more plans. Sometimes you want to run away from people, which I do.
0: Yeah, and then of I, course. Like,
1: oh, so I'm leaving tomorrow, actually. I'm not going to be in Kazakhstan. <laughs> but then when you find the right people, it's like you find your family for the road, man. Hmm. It's, the connection is unbelievable. And it's so easy sometimes open up to strangers even more than your own like closest friends back home so then the bond is just so special you may never see them again but you've shared some of the deepest um, secrets or the deepest like emotions that you have with them and then there's you know that just binds you like it's it's so special
0: yeah it's it's just different I think uh, that that's one thing that I love about backpacking and that's I think one reason that I'm never going to stop traveling solo because it's, it's uh, unparalleled yeah I feel
1: like new people when you meet them they don't come with judgments or that you don't say it to your you're you're more receptive to listening to people because you're also in that zone to share and you know team up and be friendly so it's doable
0: yeah that's awesome I mean you know and speaking of uh, backpackers and like digital nomads like the rest of us I mean I know for a fact that I want to spend some time you know covering Central Asia so, like, what is connectivity like over there I mean, in terms of internet or whatever? I know this is, again, a very first world question to ask, but you and I no. both know that we work, like, on the go. So, if I gonna yeah. like, sit somewhere and work for an entire day, is that possible over there or are we not there yet? Um, Kyrgyzstan, 100%. It's kind of like a
1: digital nomad hub. Bishkek, oh, wow. and- That's awesome. The capital city has amazing cafes with um, very European in that sense. It has Mm. all brands. It has H and M. I don't think they have a Starbucks yet, but they have, you know, some of the most some of the brands you'll recognize. And Wi-Fi is really good. So for most part in every country, I got a local SIM, and I was more or less connected uh, for eighty percent of the trip, at least.
0: Yeah, great
1: place to go and even work out of. Are cheap, um you could spend uh, about 20 22k on a return ticket from Delhi. Delhi is the hub from India where you should be booking your tickets for the stands. Mm. And visas are now all three countries have e visas. I ran around like a mad person to get my paper visas done to only two years ago. So imagine how much is changed in just two years. Mm.
0: So it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I think that's really helpful as well. Because, uh, I mean, when I have checked and like, I, I mean, I'm sure even you do this, but sky- sky scanners usually open on some tab on my, you know, browser. And I'm just like, seeing what's the best place to go and flights from Mumbai are like ridiculously expensive. So knowing that Delhi is a hub that actually simplifies yeah. it for a lot of us. And yeah. uh, for those of us who can't take an entire month to cover Kyrgyzstan, if you had to very quickly give like a two week itinerary of sorts, what destinations would you recommend?
1: I actually wanted to do that. I was hoping to take my first ever group trip, like a small group of 10 people there this summer. And I was talking to one of my local friends there. And uh, I was looking at a one-week itinerary, but in two weeks, there's a lot you could do. So Bishkek uh, is the capital city, which is where you would start. You would fly into Bishkek. There's not much to do with, like I said, it's a, it's a pretty modern city. Um, So a day, a day and a half in Bishkek and then get into a mashrutka and go to uh, Songkol for the horseback trek. That'll take you another two days and then you can finish that and come back down and go to the south shore of Isikul, which is where I told you what the cultural hub is, where you'll get a glimpse of all of these sports. You're obviously not going to get to see anything like the games, but uh, they have a lot of these local smaller versions of all of these sports. So it's a great place to learn culture of Kyrgyzstan. And then you can go up and uh, go towards Karakol, which is the northern city. Again, a great hub for treks in that region. From Karakol, you can go and do the Alakol trek, which is the highest lake that you can get to in Kyrgyzstan. I couldn't make it to the summit because the Alakol trek in fact is known as one that takes you through all four seasons over two days. It rains, it's hot, it's cold, it's windy. So it's one of those like all season treks and all um when it's open to public. Um that again takes two days and it's very tough. It's supposed to be super tough. And I got rained out the morning I was uh going up to the summit. Like I completed um 60% of the trek and I couldn't complete the last bit of it. So that is again something that you could look at. And when you're back at Karakol, again lots of culture to do. Like I'd gone and understood how they make their bread. Bread is again a huge part of like nan that's another word that's common, by the way, between like our uh, Indian Hindi and their language. So lots of tours like that that you can sign up for for the day. There's a um, naan making bakery tour. Then there, there's a community that lives there called the Dungals, Dungans, which actually were, they had to flee from China to come to Kyrgyzstan. So they're actually of Chinese origin, but they live in Kyrgyzstan and they have a huge like uh, different lifestyle and culture. So you can go eat a Dungan meal with a Dungan family. So there's a lot to do in the northern region near Karakol. And then uh, around Bishkek, again, there are a lot of day treks and hikes that one could do. So I think um, there are so many villages. All of them serve as base camps for either hardcore treks or even just day trips up on a horse. It's that's the Kyrgyz life. You've just got to go and be out in nature. There are hot springs in the middle of nowhere, and you get to chill in one overlooking a flowing river. So, I think in two weeks, you can do the center and the north very, very well.
0: Wow, that was actually super detailed. And I think anyone listening to this will just have like a ready made plan in front of them. It's really, really helpful. Thank you so much. You know what? I feel like I've already gone through the whole country with you right here. And I know exactly what I want to do when I go there. And I really hope people listening to this find it equally helpful because I found it awesome. You know, usually for me, when I travel, there's always this one moment that kind of, you know, it's like either I'm sitting at the top of a mountain and I'm seeing this magical sunrise happen or, you know, there are stars in the sky and I find myself crying. But I'm I'm sure you know what I mean. But uh, I just wanted to know if you felt something like that, you know, on this trip in Kyrgyzstan where you're like, this moment here, it is everything. For me, and I'm so glad I decided to do this. Did you have something like that?
1: Yeah, quite a few, but I think uh, one of them was at the culmination of the trip. Like the games were towards the fag end of my trip in Kyrgyzstan, and it was the closing ceremony. And there were a lot of performances and stuff. And then at the end of it, we were all sitting at the stadium, right? We were sitting on our seats, we had passes and everything. And uh, since we'd all bought our passes at different times, my hostel mates and I couldn't exactly sit together. But when the final ceremony got over, they opened up the gates and everyone just poured into the field and it was a huge like random dance party. They would put on local Kyrgyz music, which by then a lot of us knew and we would even like sing along to it, right? That's what? how That's the <laughs> that you really spend some time in a country when you get acquainted to like so many things so naturally and my hostel mates we found our way to each other and then we're dancing with these Kyrgyz people and there's a kid jumping around and I just I think I just paused for a second and I looked around me and it all felt so alien yet it felt so so like I just found a home so far away from home and Kyrgyzstan to me had always felt like some remote like you know I'd never had a connection with that place until I read up about it which was again such big learning for me like some things just seem so out of your zone, but you you just show up there and it's it's nothing like that. It just feels like home in a matter of a month. And I think at that point, I was just so glad i I think I was just thanking myself profusely for having taken the trip, and you know I was like, oh my God, you did this Sharu. It's been two months, and you're fine, and it's amazing if it, you actually don't want to go back home. looks like you can be a backpacker and keep doing this and traveling for life. So I think that was like so special just Kyrgyz music blasting on the speakers people are dancing like idiots and i'm just standing there and going oh my god this is it <laughs> yeah oh. so i think that was a that's a mem- memory i have very strongly yeah
0: yeah no that does sound beautiful and i feel like i can imagine what that must have felt like at least to a certain extent because this was like you said your longest backpacking trip for the first time that you did and with all of these beautiful experiences that you had to have it all culminate at that one moment must have been such a powerful feeling. Like, yeah. <laughs> wow. I think these are the kind of things that we also live for, right? Like I don't think I've thought of that moment in a very, very long
1: time. I'm so glad you brought that up.
0: Yeah. I'm glad too. I feel like I've lived it with you in a certain way now, and that itself, especially. So. So yeah, I mean, with that, I think I have. Uh, Kind of asked you everything that I would have wanted to know. And uh, more than anything else, this has been a real journey for me. Like, for me with you. I don't know if, if that makes any sense, but that's what it's felt like. Like this whole conversation has been very, very immersive. And I personally really enjoyed it. And I hope, you know, you enjoy reliving this too. Although I think you just answered that like not 10 seconds back. But uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to come on this podcast with me. And. I don't know, I've had a wonderful time and I hope you did too.
1: Thank you for having me and I can't wait to virtually explore more places through your podcast. I think it's amazing. Words are so beautiful. Sometimes when you don't have the visuals, you have the power to just recreate those um, stories in your own way, in your head. And I think that's, that's a whole different kind of travel. So I'm glad you're doing this and I'm glad you called me on.
0: Sharanya goes by Truly Nomadly on Instagram. You can go check out some absolutely dreamy photos and stories from her travels there. She also has a blog, www.trulynomadly.com. Head over there to see what it is that she does. I welcome your feedback, suggestions, questions, anything you might want to talk about. You can send me a message right here or on my Instagram at Girl. Travels, Tales and Takes with Preeti brings to you tales from lands far and near, stories from people ever so dear and a little bit of me, Preeti, also known as Peppy Travel Girl. I hope you're all staying safe and are doing well and I hope you have a beautiful day or night ahead. Take care and I will see you soon with a brand new episode. Bye-bye.